So I googled it. How many organisms in a gram of soil? And the answer came up as 10 billion. Now I haven't gone to look at the supporting references and done a fact checker, but I have heard numbers like this before. And having had a look at some of the uh, microscopic creatures and then finding creatures on those creatures, uh, and then looking at the size of fungal cells and hyphae and bacteria and so, 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 so many things. That's a scale that goes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I think it's quite reasonable, 10 billion. And thousands of species within that gram as well. And when we say a species, what does that mean? It means an organism which is distinct enough from others that they don't breed with each other. But when we're talking about a bacteria, we're not talking about breeding anyway. They just uh, multiply themselves, bud, they grow, grow big and fat, make two copies of all their information, and then the outer wall comes in and closes and pinches off. So you get two separate ones. So how does that make a species or not a species? Well, they've then found that a lot of the bacteria can act together as a whole organism. And there's a particular threshold when a number of these cells get to a certain population size, they can move around like an organism, like one organism. They will go to chemical cues and all of them may move there. They can move along gradients of water. And one might say, oh, that's just a, you know, a million small things queuing into the same thing and moving. But have a look at some of the other experiments where people have said that here's an experiment that shows how bacteria think and act as a colony. Anyway, away from that for a moment, that's just about the one species. So we could say that's a way of, uh, when you look at them, if a, if a person was to get one of those bacteria and look at it under a microscope, it would look the same as another. It would have the similar biochemistry. Uh, it lives in the same sort of environment. So 10 billion organisms per gram of soil. Now if we come up to the surface level more and really look at what's wood wide web. So have a look at the wood wide web. Just Google that if you've got access to it. Or I shouldn't say Google, I could just say just research that on the internet. <laughs> have a look at wood wide web and have a look at uh, some of the TED talks on that. And again, each time I hear this coming from Western science, there is always layers upon layers upon layers of information earlier on the same topics. And one example is in Australia, Auntie Fran, one of the Darawal people, was sharing as we were looking across a landscape how the trees, when they're by themselves, are missing their family. And the family is the shrubs, uh, everything else that's normally part of that family. So it's not this idea that, hey, that's a nice big tree and we'll put it in grass and that looks nice to our eyes. It's the family of the tree. Now, what does the family do? Each in that family support each other. When they say family, they're not talking about young seeds or seedlings of the same trees. We're talking about diversity. We're talking about the shrubs, the grasses, the butterflies, the caterpillars, the woolly worms, the fungi, the small gnats. And then to look at one example, 
Andy Fran had pointed out to us that there's a plant called Bursaria, and we've seen that. Relatively thin, shrubby, yeah, either at my head height, which is five and a bit feet, <laughs> or or somewhat higher. I have seen, I have definitely seen some that are uh, say well over 10 feet, very unusual, but they were. And they have little white flowers and they also have sharp spines. One of the things about the Bursaria is that there is a type of moth that visits this flower. And this moth enjoys the nectar, as do other things. There's also a wasp that comes to this flower. Now this wasp, very small, as you know ants, bees and wasps are in what's called a family together, similar um, evolutionary grouping. So these wasps look like little ants and they have what's called an ovipositor on their abdomen. The abdomen is the back end of, of it. So if you saw an ant, the third piece of the, the fairy tale one, that's their abdomen. On that's the ovipositor. An ovum is an egg and to posit is to put. So an ovipositor is one that puts the egg out. Wasps, wasps are absolutely fascinating. I have to talk about that another time. But a wasp in this case puts its egg inside a particular caterpillar that chews upon the canopy trees. So these beautiful big gum trees out there, grey box, uh, were in poor health. And someone might say, well, that's because they've got too many caterpillars eating them. And then you could link it to an environmental thing, like maybe there's not as much birds to eat the caterpillars. But in this case, it was because the bursaria, the prickly shrub was missing, the wasps were not there either because they didn't have the nectar to feed upon and the white flowers. Therefore, they weren't laying their eggs into the caterpillars on these trees. Then the caterpillars were growing in great abundance. And yes, at the same time, there was another factor to do with the birds. And it was that there was a particular species of bird called a minor bird that was present and increased in abundance greatly. Now, this bird acts very much as a community, but such in such a way that it chases out other birds. It's extremely territorial and it feeds upon what's called a lerp, and a lerp is a, another insect called a psyllid, and it makes a little casing or a capsule of waxy, slightly sweet substance that the insect pulls out of the leaf. They get the sugars from the leaf and they mix it with this waxy coating, and that's where they live, keeps them safe during the day, usually, while they continue sucking on the sugars of the leaf. Well. Other birds come along, they'll take the waxy coating and eat the lerp. And in a way, being like big vacuum cleaners, cleaning up all the destructive things off the trees. And different species of birds go along different areas of the tree. Some up in the leaves, some in the high branches, some along the trunk. So a great forest has enough resources for these birds, all the different species of birds. So you have a whole complete clean, quite wonderful. But these birds keep the others away. So that's one thing too, that there's less diversity of birds. The other thing that these birds do is they only eat 
the waxy piece off the top. They don't eat the bug. So then the bug sucks the sap even more to create a new covering on it. So you have this compounded effect that the birds eat the bugs are now not there and this bird is just eating its house basically and so it builds more and more houses and sucks more from the trees. Any of these things on their own yeah, can often be withstood by the trees. But the caterpillars plus the lack of wasps. So the caterpillars weren't having their population numbers managed. And then these sap sucking psyllids, that's the insects that sap suck the sap. Those sap sucking psyllids were, if anything, sucking more sap because they weren't being eaten and their houses were being eaten. Combined with then other environmental factors, a dry year, for example. And there was mass dieback of this really beautiful lot of trees, both in the forest areas and the grass areas. Less so in the forest, where the burst area was more in the cleared, underscrubbed areas. So there was definitely resilience in the forest and where we had the friends, the family of the trees, the different species. We had those animals that are key protectors, the diversity of birds and wasps in this case. And so I thought about what Arnie Fran had told us and in our work doing environmental restoration, it's another layer. I mean, we can just say, okay, what were the plants that were here? Can we collect those seeds? Yes, that's easy to collect. We'll collect those and we'll plant that as, as diverse as we can. But then actually knowing some of the stories, we would always want to make sure that Bursaria is in the mix in those vegetation communities where it naturally grew. Through time and through restoration, these forests became, or these individual canopy trees in in land that had been grassed. It was grassed because it used to be grazed, but the um, grazing had long stopped from those areas and uh, the weeds were yet to be managed. And the new plants, the old plants, the original family of plants was yet to be brought back in. So actively planting it, assisting managing the weeds, bringing back that particular family resulted in health of the trees and an increase in diversity. So these are the things that we can do practically and looking at that, realising that in life, it's not necessarily that a person, like a tree, has to get better on their own. But can we create the conditions that allow the interactions to be present that bring about full health and harmony? And also to know that our role in someone else's life may be a simple one, providing a flower for something else come and visit that then helps that person and at each time as we step up and help ourselves we're also making it easy for so many others so in the words of grandmother parisha as we lift ourselves we lift a thousand others and as parisha has also taught often very often that as we look into the world we influence it Look for beauty, acknowledge it when you see it, and you are creating it.